I'm the reason why I always have to mark our podcast as explicit. I'm sorry. Welcome back to Hate Spinnerbait, the podcast where we hate Spinnerbait, but we love Liz Fair. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yes. She was like okay. the early 2000s rom-com soundtrack queen. Oh, 100%. We will be discussing that tonight. That was a, that was a good one. I was excited to see where you were going to go with that because... Today's a little different. We're talking about a movie. We're not talking. We're talking Destin, but we're talking Destin in a different way. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Bethany. Joined, as always, with Michael Ann. Michael Ann, are you excited? We're going to be talking about 2003. There were some eyebrows in this film. Some, or lack of eyebrows in this film, is what I should say. I was, like, looking at Mandy Moore's eyebrows half of this movie and was just so distracted by them because I was like, man, we really were plucking. We were plucking early in the early 2000s. What a time. Well, everyone, we're here to discuss how to deal today, which is the movie adaptation where they combined both that summer and someone like you into this. Not really sure how they came up with the title, how to deal, but that's neither here nor there. Well, it's kind of explained in the beginning of the movie. A little background on How to Deal. So How to Deal, uh, interestingly enough, it was filmed in Canada. So very much not North Carolina. I also realized while watching the movie, at no point do they ever specifically state where they are. But Macon's car does have New Jersey plates. So I guess we're supposed to assume that they're in New Jersey, which is weird. Because that's not at all where either of those novels are set. We're on a beach at some point. Like, I, it's very strange. They mentioned Virginia when they go to visit the grandma. And we know that Lewis's parents are originally from Atlanta. But they never really... <laughs> they sure are. Anything. They sure are. <laughs> Boy, are they. <laughs> so that is just something I found kind of interesting. Filmed in Canada. I assume we're supposed to guess that it takes place in New Jersey just by the plates or again, Macon is a criminal. So maybe he just stole a car from New Jersey and is driving around North Carolina. I'm I'm a little uncertain. Here's a couple of fun facts about it. So obviously based on the the novels by Sarah Dessen, the uh, screenplay though, the adaptation was written by, I apologize if I mispronounce any of these people's names, but by Nina Beber. And when I IMDb'd her, I looked her up. One of her like credit, uh, credentials, like her credits that she has, is Clarissa Explains It All. So oh. that tracks. Because watching this movie, the way that Hallie is presented, I'm like, yeah, I can see that this woman wrote Clarissa Explains It All. She also has a bunch of um, other credits, but that was probably the one that I thought was the most interesting. Oh, she also 
this was another one that I thought really tracked. She also wrote a few episodes um, in the the span of Daria, which this also I could oh. see. She has that. So Clarissa, Daria, those characters seem kind of like they have the voice of of Hallie in this movie. So those those are a few things Daria. about her. The director is this lovely lady named Claire Kilner. Again, I would like to apologize if I am pronouncing your name wrong, but female director. So that's pretty cool. Um, here's what also I find super interesting. She went on to direct some of the uh, TV adaptation, the TV version of Snowpiercer, which I think is vastly different <laughs> than anything Sarah Dessen. And her most <laughs> recent credit is for House of the Dragon, the new like um, Game of Thrones spinoff. She's been directing episodes of that. So I thought that was very interesting. Huh. From House of the Career to like Snowpiercer and Game of Thrones stuff. So fascinating. Her Good career thing. really took a weird turn there. <laughs> yeah, it was a very, very weird turn. She definitely, it looked like early 2000s, she was doing, you know, How to Deal. Um, the wedding date with Deborah Messing. She was like directing those, and you're like, okay, yeah, I see those two things. And then suddenly she's in to, yeah, House of the Dragon and Snowpiercer. So she's a woman of many, many hats. And I, I find that very interesting. Um, this she probably movie, want. She probably she wanted probably. to do that this whole time. And they were like, woman, early 2000s director, rom coms. You can direct this. You can direct this rom com and these like coming of age teenage stories. And she's like, mm-hmm. okay, gotta get my foot in the door. It is interesting. I mean, if you look at the career of a lot of people, like how many people do start in stuff like that? Like you have people like Kevin yeah. Williamson. His first major credit is Dawson's Creek, and then he goes on to write things like Scream, which are similar but obviously very different. Then you have, you know, J.J. Abrams, who is like the nerd king, does a lot of sci-fi, whatever. And his first thing he ever did was Felicity. Like <laughs> That's vastly different. <laughs> Greg Berlanti also worked on a lot of WB shows, producing, show running, things like Dawson's Creek, Winter Hill, and now does a bunch of superhero stuff. And still does a lot of coming of age stuff. He directed Love, Simon, and he's going to be attached to the, um, or is attached to the Red, White, and Royal Blue uh, film adaptation, Ooh. which I don't think these two girls are excited for because we both like that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's very weird. Like, a lot of people, like, do start in, I don't know, like, I guess in the eyes of Hollywood, that must be an easy story to tell. Like, you're not doing any big special effects or anything like that. Like, you're just telling the stories of teenagers. And then they they go on to make, like, you know star trek and star wars like from from felicity to star wars that's yeah from how to deal to dragons <laughs> like, i guess that's a wow. that's a thing which right on for all of them so i just want to give a little background of who you know because we discussed sarah's background a little bit in the first episode of obviously we're discussing all of her novels so i just kind of wanted to let everyone know who directed and wrote the film adaptation, kind of see some of their other credits to kind of see, you know, a little bit about who they are, where they're coming from. Uh, As we mentioned, it came out in 2003. It was rated PG-13, which is uh, good to know when we dive into the movie here. There's a a note I had about the the PG-13 rating, which we will get to discuss in a minute. Uh, Critically, not, it didn't do super well box office or critically, which doesn't Super surprised me. I mean, I made its budget back. So I guess for New Line Cinemas, it, it was worth it. It was worth making. 
But yeah, if you look at its Rotten Tomato score, not super great. <laughs> but that doesn't surprise me for a teenage film. Uh, we were just talking, Michael and I, before we started. Obviously, in 2003 and still to this day, most critics are males. So, of course, they don't really think that they were the target audience. I did find um, Roger Ebert, who, of course, is considered you know one of the go-to film critics uh, of our time. He had a review of it. Uh, I thought overall pretty nice. He kind of states some of the things that I have issues with as well. Basically, he starts by praising Mandy Moore and kind of says that he thinks that she's going to be a star, which I agree. At the time of filming, she would have been 18 when the film came out. She was 19. So this is very early in her career. She would have had, I think, a walk to remember would have been the only other like big movie she had done at that point but oh, that she was the lead. She was also in The Princess Diaries. I'm sure we all can recall. So yeah, so she's still pretty young and, and new in her career. So Roger Eber kind of gives her praise. Another thing I think he says, and here's some of the positive he said. He said, how did y'all have some good things in it, including a performance by Allison Janey as a mother who is allowed to be more human and complicated than the average mom of the movie teenager? Yeah, I like that. See, even Roger Ebert knows that Sarah Dawson <laughs> writes some very compelling mom stories. Uh, he also said there's also a strong performance by Alexandra Holden as the heroine's best friend, Scarlett, um, facing an unexpected pregnancy with more character than some of the adult show. So I also like that he picked up on, you know, we talked a lot about how we thought that Scarlett, you know, is obviously very mature for her age and she we think she's really great. And I, I like that in the movie, which you don't even get to see as much as you get to see book Scarlet that, that Roger Ebert picked up on that. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, he kind of, this is something that I think is interesting, which in fairness, movie making is better. Like he's nicer, like more likable, I guess, than book making. But what I do find interesting is he says, um, Hallie herself is faced with the alarming prospect of her first romance, the boys making. And the fact that he's a nice guy only makes her choices more complicated. And I'm like, that's so interesting to describe him as a nice guy, but all right. And then he talks about how, you know, Trent Ford does a good job overall with his performance and how there's certain things he has to say that, you know, what does he say exactly? Um, uh, like, like essentially like certain things he has to say is like too earnest and there, you know, oh, here he said, there's a thin line between being good and being too good to believe is how he refers mm. to Macon. And I'm like, so weird. Not the vibe that I get from Macon at all, Roger Ebert, but okay. Um, so basically he said, you know, he's seen kind of better coming of age stories. Some of the, that he felt like the plot was too much, which I agree. That's what happens when you combine two novels and maybe we should have let them stand on their own. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting that he noted on that. Um, but yeah, he says that all of these elements are in place and yet the movie never really pulls us into the story and makes us care the way those other three movies do. He was referencing other movies he thought did coming of age better. Um, the screenplay feels more like a checklist than a lifeline. And there are three major relationships competing for attention, not counting the weather bimbo. <laughs> like that he calls Lauren <laughs> the weather bimbo. I watched the movie with interest, yes, but on emotional involvement. And my appreciation of more was based more on her essence than on her character. Um, and then he, you know, talks a little bit about that. What the movie establishes above all is that Mandy Moore has a future in the movies. Correct. Maybe even the horror film she's making with Wes Craven. I don't know what movie he's referencing there. She has the ease in front of the camera that makes you think she's the real thing. The secret of acting, George Burns said, is sincerity. If you can fake that, you've got it made. Mandy Moore has it made. And the thing is, I don't think she's faking. 
So basically he praises Mandy Moore a lot and kind of says that the movie's not that great, which I, I don't know, I guess fair. Um, couple other things. I guess let's go into some casting. Like, we obviously have now talked about Mandy Moore. Uh, so Mandy Moore is playing Hallie in this adaptation. Um, I think she does a pretty good job. Uh, Trent Ford is uh, Macon. You know what I think is interesting? They, I guess they change a lot of their last names in this. Um, like, she's Hallie, but her last name in this is now Martin. And then making a forester instead of Faulkner, which I think is, I'm like, why? Like, what was the purpose of that? I'm not really sure. Mm. But I, I didn't notice something that. I really noticed. Like, at one point in the movie, they say Forrester. Like, hey, Forrester. And I'm like, oh, it's Faulkner in the book. But then Elizabeth Gunderson is still Elizabeth Gunderson. Like, I like that she gets to keep of her course. full name. It's like so strange, but it's such a good name. Like, you can't change that. Uh, Alexandra Holden is Scarlet. Uh, we have Nina Falk as Grandma Hallie, and then the incomparable Allison Janey as Lydia Martin. Another weird thing, I guess maybe because they never give the mom a name in that summer, that she ends up with the friend's name, because her friend is named I, Lydia. Yeah. And I she's, I, so I just thought that was very interesting. This is first tangent of the episode. Uh, since yeah. Allison Janey is in this, I just have to tell, this is where my brain works, Okay. So the West Wing, did you, ever, did you ever watch the West Wing at any point? You should watch no. the West Wing. I think you would like it. Um, it's on Netflix whenever you have the time. You're a busy lady, but <laughs> if you, have time, you should watch it at some point. I So the time that it ran, I was too young to watch it because I wouldn't have, it's very obviously a very political show. So I did not watch it in its original air time. I watched it later on in life on Netflix. But when I did, it became one of my favorite shows, even though, Aaron Sorkin, I, I like a lot of his work, but he can be a problematic guy. That is, just want to state that first and foremost. I get it. He's, yeah, he's not my favorite guy. Yeah. But anywho, uh, love the West Wing. Um, and for some odd reason, my, 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 my husband, uh, his dear friend, actually the best man in our wedding, uh, one of the first things we bonded over was our, but that we both liked the West Wing and we both liked Beverly Hills 90210. And we both like the same couples from the, like the West Wing, like our, our main ship from the West Wing, like our main ship from Beverly Hills. We were like quoting the episodes to each other one night. It was, it was very cute. We had like hugged it out. It was adorable. So anywho, when you're talking one time, we've talked the West Wing a lot. Like we'll make, we'll make West Wing references to each other because we both know that we like the show. And we were talking about if anyone was ever on the West Wing, like that's the character that they are for the rest of their lives. Even though I've seen a lot of these actors and many other things and half of them in something before I saw them on the West Wing, but just like Allison Janey will always be CJ Craig to me. Like Rob Lowe will always be Sam Seaborn. I went and watched Black Panther, Wakanda Forever the other night. And um, oh my God, I can't even think of the actor's real name right now, but Toby Ziegler from the West Wing is in a scene at the beginning and it gets to him. And in my mind, it's like, oh, Toby Ziegler's in this. I'm like, that. they just are their West Wing characters for the rest of your life. And he was just saying how his fiance, they're big Parks and Rec fans, and they had just finished watching Parks and Recreation, which, of course, Rob Lowe is also in Parks and Recreation. And so she's saying something. They're watching something. She goes, this guy looks like a, a, a cheap imitation of that Sam Seaborn. And he goes, 
so weird that you instantly went Sam Seaborn and not like Chris Traeger when we just were finishing watching Parks and Recreation. <laughs> but I was like, no, I get it. Like I watch Rob Lowe and like 18,000 things because Rob Lowe is in every television show ever because he like goes on it for four seasons, gets bored with it, and then goes on to the next one, you know? And I was like, but yeah. he will always be Sam Seaborn to me. Like, I just, I can't. Like, he was always his Western character. So anywho, at any point, if I call Allison Janey, CJ Craig, while discussing her performance, that's why. Like, she will just always be CJ Craig in my heart. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I was like, I Redford, always Josh Lyman. Like, I just can't. Like, they're, they're West Wing characters. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, um, for me, when I was watching this, Mandy Moore, to me, is always Mandy Moore. She's yeah, just, like, no. one of those people I can't, like, put into a character. So I'm like, yep, this is, it's like Hilary Duff. I'm always like, yeah, this is Hilary Duff. Hilary Duff. I think a lot of Manny Moore's early work, like when she was in a lot of these like coming of age movies, I was just like, oh, it's Mandy Moore. And in this movie, she is just very Mandy Moore, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I feel like um, on This Is Us, I actually think she like really disappeared into that role and did just you know what, phenomenal right. on that show. So I feel like as she has gotten older, I can kind of like separate her. Mm-hmm being Mandy Moore but no like not in this movie I was just like I didn't think yeah. of her as Hallie I was just like there's Mandy Moore being Mandy Moore yep 100 mm-hmm. percent. yeah absolutely any thoughts before we officially dive into our little um little- no I think all my thoughts all my thoughts will come with time Oh, I have two random thoughts and they're about Sarah Dessen, like film adaptations before we get into our thoughts about the actual film that we are about to, you know, dissect. One is I now realize, so she's basically had two film adaptations, technically three novels have been adapted, but two film adaptations. So if her books are, I always say there's the common thread is always like money issues. The movies so far have been guys whose best friend died. Because so far, we have How to Deal, which Macon is dealing with the loss of Michael, and Along for the Ride have been adapted, which the main character is dealing with the loss of his best friend. And that's where they like open up a bike shop, Gabe's bike shop, yada, yada, yada. So anyways, I was re-watching How to Deal the other night, and that just popped in my head. I'm like, oh, so far, the two movies that, like, what are the odds? Because that's not a common trope in Sarah Dessen's novels, that, like, guys have a best friend that's dead. But the, the two books that they decided to adapt so far, that just happens to be the case. And I was like, that's kind of odd. Like, just sort of funny to me. Other random thing is Netflix has options a few of her other novels. So while right now, as on the recording, uh, here we are in November of 2022, there's only been two movies made. Hopefully we will be able to dissect some future Netflix movies because I know this lullaby has been optioned which heck yeah would love to see that uh maybe oh yeah is it walking key i'm not sure there's one other one and the truth about forever is the most recent one that has gotten optioned which i would love to see be made into a movie so those are just a couple of random sarah dustin film thoughts let's talk about how to deal <laughs> let me write the screenplay sarah dustin <laughs> right let me I think we could do a better job than Clarissa explains it all, ladies. Sorry, that's so I, I'm sure she did a good job, but I yeah. mean, she mm, she like took like mm, okay, let's just, <laughs> just yeah, let's just, just like, dive into it. 
Yeah, let's go. Let's start. Okay, so what we're doing is we are, I have the movie playing next to me and we're going to kind of, I will kind of say where we're at and then we'll kind of talk about our feelings. So the, let me turn it down actually. Oh, I accidentally turned it up. Oh no, Ooh, I didn't. Oh God, here we go. Okay, so it opens up with Hallie doing yoga in her bedroom and this is the first time we see her eating those little chocolate candies. What are those? I have that written in my notes. Like the one scene that she's having, like the important scene with her mom where they're having the fight, they're eating it. And I wrote down, what are these? <laughs> I'm dying to what know. Are what are they? If anyone has seen, seen, I assume anyone listening has seen this movie. But if you've seen it recently or you saw it years ago, but you have a freakish memory of what these little chocolate things that she's eating, please let us know because I don't know. <laughs> and she never like eats the chocolate part. She like drinks yes. something out of it. And I was watching this movie with my fiance and he was like, he had great commentary by the way, but he was oh God, like, um, Oh, those look like liquor shots. And I'm like, well, they're obviously not liquor shots, but like, what right. are they? What are they? Okay. I'm dying so, to know. A couple main things we see here with this beginning scene with her little voiceover is there seems to be some sort of flashback to a summer that seems really great. However, mm -hmm. she is a baby and there's no mention. And Ashley is also a child. So there's like no uh, boyfriend connected to yeah, that. There's no like, like Sumner, I guess, in this version of this and story. We, and we never come back to it either. Yeah, no. Um, it's it's that's it. That's like our only like that summer. Like there was this summer that our family was perfect. That's like yeah, which is such a through line of the actual novel that summer. So I just it, yeah, the it, it's like a whole weird. She basically has a whole monologue about a hat, like this big ugly hat, and you just have to. Got a deal. And there we go. That's why your movie is called that. The tagline for this movie, there's two of them, I guess, technically, which isn't uncommon. But one of them is a lesson in love for non-believers. That's like nothing to do with either of those novels are about. And the other one is no. the number one rule is there are no rules, which also is just nothing. Yeah. Rule number one, there are no rules is the other tagline for this movie. And neither of those things have anything to do with like the the books <laughs> whatsoever the second one doesn't have anything to do with the movie there I, are no it, rules there are no, i was like there are no point or any like rules discussed in this movie so i don't understand why that would be a tagline to this film which is That's where i will say speaking of this lullaby being adapted into a movie they make Callie way more like Remy, which small spoiler alert, because we haven't officially discussed this lullaby on this podcast and won't be for a few weeks because we've got a couple books to get through before we get to there. But this entire time I was watching How to Deal, I was like, she's Remy. She's not Hallie. She's not Haven. Like she's not either of the characters from the first two novels. She way more reminds me of the main character from this lullaby who's like, you know, because of my parents, like, I don't believe in love and I'm not going to want a boyfriend and whatever. And like, that's kind of what they make Hallie's storyline in the movie. And that's not remotely what it is in either of the books. So I found no. that kind of weird. 
like she doesn't really have any interest in dating in that summer like it's kind of just her weird fascination with Sumner but she also doesn't have any negative opinions like it's just not really talked about yeah I just I thought it was like how strange that they just like really steered into this whole like because of her parents divorce and because of everything like she's a non-believer and she doesn't and she's afraid to be with bacon because she doesn't like love and i was like that's so not like the characters at all of either of the first two novels but then when i looked up the whole like clarissa explains it all in daria thing and i was like oh, i think that's like all that lady like knew how to write was like jaded girls who like didn't believe in love and i was like if y'all were adapting this lullaby that would be great but that is not the book we are working on right now <laughs> Yeah, I found Hallie really unlikable in this movie, to be honest. Yeah. I was like, what is going on? They also changed Scarlett's personality in a big th- in a big way, which yeah. I also hated. Oh my god, Mandy Moore was in the Good Charlotte music video for Little Things in the year 2000. <laughs> I like that's... that that just came to wow, you there. That's... You know what else I, I find interesting is... is... Mandy Moore, her first few big movies, lead role movies, again, we mentioned earlier, I Walk to Remember, um, both of them are adaptations, very like loose adaptations. A Walk to Remember movie is better than the book, though. I said it. I said what I said. This, not as good as the books. I disagree. But but very, oh, you like the book better. Very uh, loose adaptations of um, two big like North Carolina authors. So that's just kind of interesting. Both, both things yeah, technically I, said. Not this movie, evidently, but... <laughs> when I was younger, I read A Walk to Remember so many times that it started to fall apart. Oh, man. Today, in this day and age, I will have I have no interest in that book because um, it's a little too Christian for me to be quite frank. Yeah, yeah but that's, that's fair. That is it's fair. like... I think it's way more Christian in the book than it is in the movie, too. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, there's, like, some God stuff in the movie, but I think the book touches on it a lot more. The book is also, like, set in the 50s, and the movie is set in the yeah. present day. They're very, very different. But I remember yeah. reading the book and liking it, but I, I don't know, something about, like, preteen Bethany. Maybe it was whatever. What is, what is his name? The, like, it was that song she sings. Oh, yeah. What is that song? She oh sings? yeah, that's oh it. which again, it's a Switchfoot song. So religious. Um, I like how this is also not yeah, turned exactly. into a review of Walk to Remember. I'm not sorry. Okay, they're adjacent. They're adjacent. They're both based off of North Carolina authors. Mandy Moore's in both of them. There's a weird poster I'm noticing on her wall that's like a mm-hmm. baby eating oh, a apple. I'm gonna have to pause this and take a picture so I can put it on our Instagram. I feel like yeah, people need also, to see this. I want to now notice this. Take a picture of it, show it to me, and then we're posting this on Instagram. Yeah, she's got some weird posters in the background. Um, but we can hear her mother freaking out downstairs. So that, like, whole you can hear it through the vent thing is still happening. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, sure, incoming. Incoming! Uh huh. Oh, that is very weird. Yeah. It's yeah, like it's just baby. Like a baby. In is that supposed to be like a baby? Is it someone holding the baby? Is that like a hand? I guess. 
like a blanket and a hand, I think. And then, yeah, it's like an apple, maybe? Or is like this baby crawling out of the womb? I'm not sure. Either way, it's super disturbing. Yeah, it's a strange poster to have. Um, and then she goes downstairs. Really yeah, it's weird, right? It's like, it's like a... Yeah, it's strange. Like, what is that? Uh, yeah, not about that. Um... So then we go downstairs. It's also a little, another difference is this is the day their divorce was finalized as opposed to the day that they are getting married. Yes. Um, the dad and the weather pet. I like that they combined the dads. He's a shock jock, but he's still marrying a weather pet. So like they made him, instead of being like the TV guy from, you know, that summer, he's more the radio guy from someone like you, but they still, everything else about him, they make the that summer version of him, which, oh, Peter Gallagher. This will be our second OC reference of the podcast. Uh, I will always think of Peter Gallagher as being Sandy Cohen from the OC. Perfect casting in mm. this movie though. Can I just say, and his like weird 2003 goatee, like everything about him. I'm like, yes, he screams like gross shock shock who would marry a much younger woman. So, A-plus casting on that one, casting director. Yes, I agree. I agree. I also love the actress who plays Ashley. She does such a good job in this movie, and she is also perfectly cast, I, I think. Yeah. She's I did look up her age because of the, as we discussed a lot when we were discussing that summer, the fact that she was 21. I did think it was interesting. They mentioned in the dinner scene, which we'll get to here. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but they mentioned that they are getting married young, which I was like, yes, they are. But yeah, they now have Hallie's being 16, which Haven would have been 15. And it was a five-year difference. So we have 16 and a six-year difference. So they're like aged up a little bit. And the actress who played her would have actually been in her late 20s at the time. But she still looks very young. So that's a little fun fact for you there. I was like, I like how the movie yeah. was like, no, we're not going that young. <laughs> I know. So we are in the kitchen. Ashley just announced that she's getting married. Um, I like it. You know, I think Ashley looks good. I think the mom, I mean, Ashley Janney is incredible at every point. So did it's I say true. Ashley Janney? You did, but Ashley. I think it's because you were thinking Ashley, the sister, and then Alice and Janie just kind of combined into one. I liked it. I, yeah, says, they do. I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know what I do like about this? Because we're, I think we're about to go bust in on Michael and Scarlett, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. But I, what I do like about how to deal is, we, we talked about how we thought that Michael seems like a really sweet guy and we're sad that we like never got to know him because when someone like you starts, he it literally starts with he's dead. So I liked that we kind of mm -hmm. got to meet him in this. And he is exactly like he's like this sweet little nugget like I thought he would be. So, yeah, yeah. good on him. I want all him and making her friends. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, Why doesn't Hallie leave? Like Hallie just stands there. Yeah, just like awkwardly stands there. And also, I love that they have him riding away on a motorcycle. And if you're a book reader, mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, that motorcycle is going to be his demise. And then it's not his demise. And that's one of the things that I'm just like, 
why? Like, why did we feel the need to change that for the movie? I wonder. It's not a super important thing how he dies, but like the important thing is that he dies, obviously. But I just thought that was so weird that they were like, we will put him on a motorcycle in this movie, but that will not be what kills him. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a little nod, but it's not relevant. Yeah, but like Um, not how he actually goes out. Can I just say Marion is a lot different in this than I thought, than she is in the the books, I guess. Because we get to, like, the next little bit is, like, the... I wrote down Kim Corner online dating. Like, is that a thing in 2003? Like, they, they mentioned it, it sounds like they're online dating, but they're like filming things with a camcorder. So great. To, I guess, like, do like a little video for her profile. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I thought that was kind I of interesting. I think that's how it interesting. Works. Yeah. I think that you back would, like, in the day, you filmed a video and you mm-hmm. sent it to a dating service. And then they showed Ooh. that video to potential suitors. I don't know where I'm getting that from, but that knowledge is like, in my brain. You have so. a, a vague memory of that being like a thing. I feel like that. I mean, I was thinking like, how did, how did early like online dating or like dating services work? And so I, I think that very well could have been a thing. We obviously all had video cameras at that point. So that, but yeah, I just thought that was like such a funny, weird little thing. Um, not so much in that scene was I like, wow, Marion's so different. But just overall, I felt like Marion is a lot different than the way she is in the books. I also, this is where the PG-13, I said earlier, the PG-13 rating is going to come up. So if no one is familiar with how the MPAA rating system works, if you are rated PG-13, you are allowed a single solitary fuck in a movie. And you got to use it just right. And I wrote down, perfect use of the one PG-13 fuck. I love that it went to Allison Janey. I love that she's talking about, like, basically, it was, it's a great, like, cute little scene. And I was, it's early, very early on, the first, like, five, ten minutes of the movie. I was like, ooh, they already used their one. But I was like, ah, like, that was the perfect use of it. it they couldn't have picked it at a better time. So I thought that that was yes brilliant. I absolutely love that scene when they, so a few thoughts about this scene. The first thing is the mom's name is Lydia, which we talked about, which I was yeah. like, I guess you have to give her Lydia's name. Right. Um, also, Marion is the same age as Lydia and mm. is divorced instead of widowed. Oh, wait, no. Yeah. It's not, or, she wasn't, a, Scarlett's mother wasn't divorced. Her, the dad was never in the she, Like the dad just like, um, was never around. Yeah, because she was like a teen mom. Yeah. And um, she kind of dresses like, what I imagine Lydia dressed like in the book. Yeah, they kind of made her like an amalgamation of Lydia Mm -hmm. and Marion, kind of. So that Mm -hmm. I thought was interesting for sure. Yeah, because they kind of made her like, we'll make her the mom's friend. But yeah, it was, that was kind of interesting. I literally wrote down, Allison Janey is a goddess and we don't deserve her. I know, I love this scene so much. I get it absolutely. (laughs) Oh, kills me. Dinner with her dad. Um, at Dave and Buster's. So this dad is like not oh. as classy as the that summer dad is. That was another thing I just randomly noted. <laughs> he's a classic rock DJ dad. So he's he's got a little uh, different. different he's like, we booze. I had a, I have a small rant about the dinner scene, oh, which yes. is about her hair, essentially. 
how mm. Lorna comes in and is like, you're just getting prettier every day. And Mandy Moore, because again, we're just going to call her Mandy Moore, because like she's not remotely anything like Hallie, like anything like Book no, Hallie. Not even close. Um, but she, like, basically, you know, and, and she's like, I don't know how you can say that when like you don't see me every day. And she's like being all snippy with her, which, you know, she has the right, but whatever. And then the dad is all like, which is such a dad thing. Why is this such a dad thing? Why are middle-aged men obsessed with their teenage daughter's hair? It's weird. It's weird, but they all are. That is And he's all like, just, I just let it grow. Just let it grow. And it like does this great, which I thought this was a good, like one of the the better moments in the movie where they're like being all patronizing about her hair. And it immediately cuts to her going to Scarlet and being like, cut it, (laughs) which I did a lot. I know. I love her little fucking haircut. But yeah, I, I, I'm not the first person to ever discuss this, and I'm sure I will not be the last. Again, Mike is being weird in the kitchen. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Love you. Also, um, we all heard him sneeze twice earlier, so I just want to say bless you, Mike. Yeah. yeah, bless you. He's the world's loudest sneezer. Why do all men, why are all dads obsessed with their teenage daughter's hair, and why are all men the loudest sneezes in the history of life. Andrew's sneezes are so loud too. I, I make have, fun of him I'm every not. time. It's I'm like, <laughs> like, there's no need. Like there's no, like you're just being a drama queen, honestly. But I think everyone knows the story of the, there's like three shows I'm going to mention tonight. I've already mentioned that show, but there's like three shows I've been, I'm mentioning tonight that I'm like, I guess, if Sarah Destin's recurring theme is mommy issues, mine apparently is like bringing up the OC, uh, Stranger Things, and we, there will be another Skins mention. Everyone get excited. I will be talking about the OG Skins again tonight. But anywho, um, all I can ever think about is when Millie Bobby Brown got cast to play Eleven and she had to cut her hair. And she was an 11 year old. And like, that's a big ask for, you know, being like, hey, we want mm-hmm. you to be in this thing, which again, you didn't know what Stranger Things, you didn't know it's going to be, you know, worldwide phenomenon. And she gets cast and she's just like, okay, whatever. Like, she doesn't give two shits. Like, they show her, you know, um, Charlie Theron, a Furiosa from Mad Max. And she's like, yeah, I want to be a badass like that. And she is into it. And her pansy of her father, I'm so sorry, Millie Bobby Brown's father. I'm sure you're a lovely man, but this is the only thing I know about you. And it irritates the hell out of me. Her pansy of a father cried while they cut her hair. And I just think that's ridiculous. <laughs> and I just oh my want God. that to be said. <laughs> And I'm like, why? Why are men obsessed with their daughter's hair? Like, why? And she rocked her little buzz cut. She rocks any hairstyle. Any woman can oh, yeah, rock any hairstyle. But yeah, I just don't know why fathers, like weird middle-aged men, are always like, I just want my daughter to have long hair. Why? Also, Do you realize how weird like that sounds? <laughs> it is weird. And the um the uh oh, parents of child actors. Are typically not great. Yeah, just saying. I'm not sure what her parents are like. Right, maybe they're the really tr- lovely people, but I just like history says. Even the, like I don't know, you know. I'm just happy that she like the, works with Winona Ryder and like Winona Ryder, like having been, you know, a oh, child yeah. actor before. Hopefully, can steer them all in the right direction. <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. I love Anona Ryder. What a gem. Anona Ryder. Anona um, Ryder and Allison Janey. You're both goddesses that we don't deserve. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Um, oh, my God. I don't know. Moving on. Um, 
I also would have cut my hair. Basically, the moral of the story, if someone sits there and it's just like, oh, I'm going to talk. Like, it's her body. Like, it's, her, it's a, like a body autonomy thing. Like, if someone is sitting there being like, oh, my little precious angel baby daughter never cut your hair. I immediately, too, would be like pulling out the scissors. The let's go. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, there goes my hair. Okay. I'd be like, well, cut my hair. So I hope you're hope you're okay with that. We also find out in this scene, and I don't even know why this is added in. I guess it's just like they're trying to pull as much from the books as they can, but it doesn't really matter. Um, she gets kicked out of camp. Yeah, she doesn't leave early. We kick her out. Odd. I was like, oh, we like had to mention camp. We didn't have to, but yeah, I guess they wanted like again another little time to the novel. But yeah, they like make Hallie more like rebellious somehow by the fact that she got kicked out. We then get to the greeting card scene, I believe, with Michael and Macon, which is where the girls, after they chop off Hallie's hair, like run into them. And I wrote down 2003 greeting card flirting. Like, I don't know. I think we were past greeting card flirting by 2003, but I could be wrong. I also liked, though, that the baby one, I was like, ooh, foreshadowing. (laughs) I know. I saw that. I I thought that, too. (laughs) Yeah, the green also, was, I thought they were going to eventually explain that it was like her birthday or an anniversary, right, like, but he no, he's just like buying her a card. Look Which also, though, like, huge... he was very sweet and at the, just further proves that Michael was a good egg. He was. There's also huge Pez dispensers in the back of this scene. They're massive and one of them's a giant <laughs> clown and it's freaky as fuck. I'm the You're reason why I always have to mark our podcast as explicit. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's nothing I can I did, do about it. I did use the, I said, but I discussed the PG-13 fuck. So I, I already took us down the rabbit oh, hole. True, true, true. So don't worry. It, was, it wasn't it technically you rated R. <laughs> it was our podcast. The MPAA had to rate our podcast. They would, uh, they would rate it R because... Of we use we drop too many f bombs. Don't use just the one. I am way more invested in Michael and Scarlett's relationship in this movie than I am yes. with Macon and Hallie. Like Macon and Hallie, I feel like, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but I feel like they really don't set this relationship up enough for me to give a shit about yeah. it. No, one hundred percent. They like do a couple of montages to like, and that's. This all boils down to in this movie is you should have just adapted one or the other. Like there is way too much yeah. going on that you don't have time really to set up Hallie and Macon. And if that's supposed to be like your main focal point, I feel like the movie wants it to be the main focal point, but it's really not. Like there's just no. a lot of weird pacing issues. But yeah, like at no point I'm like, am I supposed to care? Like they they do a good job, which I think in both the book. And in the movie, it's one of my favorite scenes between Hallie and Macon, which is the guidance counselor scene. Like, Macon is quite charming mm-hmm. there. And you're like, ah, I could I could see where you'd be interested in this boy. And they do a good job, like, setting it up. And then they, like, don't really get to talk to each other a lot until they get to the damn scene later. And I'm like, mm-hmm. these weird montages that you're giving me, am I supposed to be falling in love with this couple? Because I, I don't know anything about them. Like, I don't know. It's just weird. But... Also, I wrote down, and then I looked it up, IMDb, the soundtrack to this movie, obviously, uh, later. But as I was watching it, I just wrote, 
weird Billy Shakespeare song as they like they do the transitions. Wait, like, yeah. this cool. <laughs> Wait a goddamn second. Is this the first time you've ever heard this song? I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've ever heard this song. Apparently, it's called Billy S. Is that correct? That's what IMDb told me. <laughs> well, are you a fan of the Billy Shakespeare song? <laughs> this song was like one of my top songs growing up. This is like teen rom-com, early 2000s soundtrack, legendary well, that's song. exactly I why I wrote caps. it down because I was like, this Billy S song, like this exact, I was like, the other day when we were wrapping up someone like you and I was like, we're kind of had a deal, get ready for some like 2003 pop, like 2003 rom-com pop. And that was like, this is one of the first songs I think they play in this movie. And I was like, this is exactly what I was envisioning was this Billy S song. But I, I don't think I have any recollection. Clearly I have heard it because I've watched how to deal before, but I had no recollection of this song. And I was like, what is this song? <laughs> I was like immediately yeah. started singing it along. I was like, I don't I know, love that you know this song. Oh, hell yeah. That is it. Oh, hell it is very 100% what I would expect to be in a team movie. 100%. I like that making is still a truant. Like that's still a thing because they mention basically in the guidance counselor scene that he like never shows her like he could. Yeah. Cause she's talking and she was like, Oh no. in the greeting card scene. Sorry. When he's like, she's like, you know, my name. And he's like, we had biology last year together. And she's like, we were never really there. And I was like, I like that that's still a through line. We always got to make, making a truant and like a criminal, which a lot of times also in this, he is missing school and no one ever in both the book and the movie. And I'm like, why is this never addressed? Like, why do we never get to know what Macon was up to? And in the movie, they kind of give you slight explanation, like maybe more than the book does. Like in the movie, they kind of make it seem like it's because like grief, like he's going through the whole Michael thing. Kind of like, not really, they don't really say that, but like you could kind of make the assumption that that's what they're, they're saying he's missing school. But I'm just like, why does no one ever bring up the fact that Macon is a truant? <laughs> but they like, I mean, he's missing school and getting in trouble before Michael even dies. Yeah. So it's like, so what, what I, are we doing here? What's, um, what's also, his story? Open this guiding guidance counselor scene. Hallie has the, you know, the schedule that doesn't make sense. Um, and for some reason, the guidance counselor is like hell bent on convincing her to take these classes, which doesn't make any, again, doesn't make any sense. That's not how school works. Um, but she says, but Hallie says, this is just proof that nothing is going as planned this year, which makes sense if you read the books that summer right. and you know that she's like real grumpy about the weddings and everything, but that doesn't really make any sense from the movie. Right. What's not but she also, in the guidance counselor on the radio, the announcement instead of the announcement yeah. on the news being the baby it's that they're eloping, which isn't a real elopement. So yeah, she, she doesn't even like her parents are divorced, which I guess is obviously very stressful to her, but she doesn't even know at this point that her dad is getting remarried. Like when she's talking about the schedule, the guidance counselor steps out for a minute and that's when she finds out is like right then and there. So I just thought that was <laughs> like, how weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then Megan walks in. He is wearing a graphic tee. That yes, says, I was hoping you would also. Hold on, let me out. try to 
pause it. Okay. It says sarcasm, and then sarcasm has two thought bubbles. One of them says family size. Weird. And the other one... The other one says subtle yet bitter. It, I don't, I'm, I was very confused by the shirt, but it was all I could pay attention to in the scene. Cause right. I was like, what is this weird graphic tee that you were wearing, Macon? You weird criminal <laughs> you. I also feel like, I guess maybe in the movie, cause you can like see him. He comes off even more manic pixie dream boy than he does in the novel somehow. Like there are some outfits yeah. he wears. There's like certain vibes he gives off in the movie that I'm like, oh my God, like you were just so manic pixie dream boy. I can't with you. Also was sad that of all the things that they decided to take from the books, they didn't take his candy. Like that's his thing is surprise candy. And there's no candy for Macon in the entire movie. And that did kind of make me sad. So I was like, again, one of the only good qualities he had is at least if he was around, candy would soon be following. Right. Give us something. But instead we get sarcasm graphic tees. Yeah. And they're not, that's, it's not even a good, it's, what does that even mean? What does it even mean? Oh yeah. It's on this it page is. in my notes that I wrote. What is Hallie eating? <laughs> We're a chocolate cookies that we discussed earlier. Um, also, the guidance counselor is like so. What is wrong with this guidance counselor? She's like, oh my god, aren't you so excited? Yeah. She's not good at her job. I'm like, this is the worst guidance counselor of all time. She's not. She's certainly not good at her job. That is for sure. She is really familiar, though. Oh, so we get that uh, Jedi mind trick thing from the books. Yeah. yeah. Which at this but point yeah, is like less impressive like because that. 2003. Yeah, right. I agree. It is much less impressive. Way more impressive in the book. But again, I like that they were at least trying to pull something from the book. And it's one of the only times that we actually get to see Macon and Hallie like, have a conversation. And he is charming-ish in it. So I was like, it's a nice scene. The, yeah, the, the Jedi mind trick. And the fact that, like, she is not aware of it is odd at this point. Because I'm like, okay, 2003, we just had two prequel movies come out. We're gearing up for a third one here in a couple of years. You, yeah, you, it would be more in your memory than in the yeah. mid-90s. But, eh, whatever. <laughs> I'll give him that one, I guess. Yeah, I wrote here, Hallie is weird and cynical. Yeah, she probably is conversation, quite, like, bitchy. <laughs> yeah, she's, like, she's very cool. bitchy. It's like, we get it, your parents got divorced, like, move on. Just kidding, that was very insensitive, but also. <laughs> I'm sure that is a very traumatic thing for many people. But yeah, I guess also it just seems so unimpressive that it would be that stressful for her considering when this movie came out and considering how many people were parents like if this movie would come out in the 80s and it was like my parents are getting divorced whatever and it's like yeah that was kind of like a new fad <laughs> but like by 2003 new parents were getting divorced you know like it wasn't that it wasn't that odd but yeah yeah I mean, I shouldn't be insensitive and brush it off like that I'm sure it is very difficult but they just didn't build it they didn't give it enough yeah. for us to like feel bad for her i feel like 
Right. You feel like, way I feel more like bad in that summer, you're so much, yeah, like more hurt by her father and like the fact that he won't come into the house. And the one time she doesn't go out to him, he just drives on by and you're like, this guy's a massive dick. Like yeah. he's a terrible father. He's a terrible human being. But in this, it's like, because you're trying to cram so much stuff in, you you kind of get that you're like, oh, dad's a shock jock. Yeah, he seems like a bit of a wild cannon. He seems gross, weirdly obsessed with his daughter hair. Again, can't stress enough. That's weird. But we don't have enough time to like feel for the mother or really grasp how strange and terrible the dad is that you're just kind of like, oh, yeah, her parents are divorced. Like the movie brushes it off, which is why it makes it seem so easy for like us as the audience to brush it off that it's not a big deal. When like, it is honestly quite a big deal for her to be going through all these weddings and changes and whatever. But also I think in comparison, the problem of combining the two stories, the comparison of then what Scarlett's going through, the fact that like Hallie is like, I'm going through a thing. And it's like, ah, but Scarlett's boyfriend just died. And she realizes that she's pregnant with his baby after his death and yada, yada, yada. And then suddenly it makes like Hallie's things not seem that important, which they are important. And, you know, I'm not saying, like, you know, they're apples and oranges, but, like, yeah, I just, that's one of the other problems, I think, of, like, combining the stories is it makes, and also you don't even get to feel the gravitas of, you know, we're approaching here in the movie Michael's death, which, again, is weirdly changed to a heart defect, and they're, they watch him die, which is very traumatic, yeah. I think. Insane. Like, way more yeah. traumatic than in the book. Like, the fact that they're there for that is very, uh, but... And he's like on the soccer field, he's kind of joking around with Scarlett, he ends up peeling over, and then basically Mandy Moore voiceover tells us that he heart, had a heart defect, and we go to his funeral. So you get this like brief funeral, but like honestly, like this could be a story in and of itself, is like this yeah. teenager died, which it is basically in the novel that we got, but like it's so right. glossed over because there's so much going on in this movie that you like you don't get the impact, like you get this funeral scene. And it's sad and beautiful. I loved the whole dress thing. I did really like that. Like Scarlett not knowing what to wear. And then Hallie telling her, like, you know, it's not for them. It's for Michael. And she goes and Scarlett feels out of place because she's wearing, like, a bright red floral dress. And, of course, everyone else is wearing black. I did enjoy that. But, yeah, it's like you have this brief scene. And then it's kind of like, and we're on with it. And, again, like, Macon, super manic pixie dream boy at the funeral. Like, Jesus, what is that outfit? Hi, Jason. Yeah. He wants his look back. I was like, this is 2003. Like, I'm a cool guy. But he, I liked his eulogy. Like, I do, and you do feel bad for him. You're like, this guy just lost his best friend. Like, that's very sad. And then we touch on it a little bit later on, but like, not really. Like, we don't really ever no. touch on it again. Yeah. I did like that the Flaming Lips was used there as well. That is a great song. But, and that does take me back to that time. So, A plus. Do you realize that backing, backing up just a little bit? Um, mm. when so after they talk with the guidance counselor, they go back to Hall. Well, the scene changes to Hallie's house and they're getting ready for dinner and they're talking about how Lorna and the dad, whose name is Len, I think, in the movie, yeah, yeah, Len. What the hell is that name? Um, yeah, I really like the imagery of the mom shaving and chopping carrots and zucchini mm. in that, that moment. It was like, yeah. uh, yes, some phallic chopping. We love that. That was love the phallic chopping. quality. And then um, 
And then Ashley and Lewis go look at a absolutely horrendously ugly wedding venue that looks like a Sears. And then I just say perfect uh, casting on Lewis as well because he gives off wet noodle vibes, which is 100% what Lewis is all about. I love the movie adaptation of Ashley and Lewis. I'm like way more into yeah. their relationship in this movie than I was even remotely in the book. I thought oh, the relationship 100%. in the book was terrible. I was like, do not marry. Yeah, like guy. I kind of like, I like that Lewis is like a wet noodle, but then he like, they do, they actually like have some growth. Like they have some character growth and like relationship growth in this movie. And you do kind of find yeah. yourself like invested. I was, I was rooting for them in that airport scene at the end for sure. Yeah, me too. Um, and then when Hallie and uh, uh, Scarlett are walking around and they see Ashley and Lewis fighting, which, by the way, what is this, the smallest town in the entire world? Um, mm-hmm. First of all, Scarlett is checking her Nokia phone for a message. Yes. Um, and then they are standing in front of a movie theater and let me just mm. tell let me just read the prices of these movie tickets to you. <laughs> so an adult is seven dollars, a child four dollars, seniors five dollars, and then you can get a year membership for sixty-five dollars. That's a steal. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. What? <laughs> I pay $35 for one ticket now, I feel like. <laughs> I, haven't been to I mean, you're not, last you're not far off. It's, the last time I went is... to the movies was pre-pandemic. I saw Frozen 2. That's the last time I went to the movies. Oh, wow. It's been a minute. But if you go yeah. to a premium experience, if you're going to a IMAX or a dine-in theater or what's the other one? Uh, Dolby. Um which one time I was in a Dolby theater and when they went to do the thing, this guy yelled out Dolby, like the way you would yell out Kobe. And Mike and I were like dying laughing. And so anytime we like go see something in Dolby, we like whisper that to each other when it like the logo comes up. We're just like Dolby to each other. Cause that guy, iconic, he lives in my memory forever. But yeah, if you go to one of those, it can literally cause, especially depending on the market. Cause obviously certain cities are expensive if you're in a New York or LA even where I'm at in Orlando, we're considered like a secondary tier market. So it's quite pricey. Um, but it, it that costs you probably, yeah, like 18 bucks a, a person for an adult ticket for something like a Dolby or an IMAX or, or whatnot. If you have 3D on top of that, you're going over $20. Mm. Uh, yeah. But if you, hi, AMC, please sponsor me. Um, if you have AMC A-list, it's 23 bucks a month. So if you go like twice, worth every oh. penny and it's honestly a really great deal and you can see three movies of them. so mike and i both have a list because we like we like other movies and we end up we always pick dining because that's like why not like I, either way i'm spending right. the same amount of money a month so i always go for the more like quality tier things so i feel like i'm getting more bang for my buck but yeah go like twice a month and it's oh beautiful. my god when we move back to orlando if we move back to orlando still up in the air at this point um might look into that we are only 18 minutes into this movie I mean, really <laughs> <for an> hour. <laughs> so, well you know we oh, had chances about uh, uh the, how did you i did not envision being a two-parter <laughs> i thought this was gonna be a 30 minute episode 
And yeah, I, was we're like, now I don't in. know how much we're going to have to discuss. But then I was like, man, I'm really annoyed about the dad having control over her hair. And I've got, I just, I have and a lot don't of, even get, I have something I am furious about that we have not gotten to yet. And I'm not going to say it. Until we get but anyway, um, so, oh God, what page am I on with my notes here? Okay, here we go. Okay, so they got into this fight, and then they're like, oh my god, Lewis, I love you, which I just love their relationship so much. I, I think it's great. Um, Hallie's being a weird fucking negative Nancy about marriage again. And then we see Michael die in front of our eyes, which is very strange choice, as you said. Do not understand that at all. Very weird. Very, very weird. Um, I really like the line during Hallie's voiceover before the funeral where she's like, uh, the world stopped when he died or it should have. I was like, yes, yeah. that's so relatable. That is like, it, there are some good lines in this movie. Like there are a couple things I noted and that was one that I, I did enjoy that I was like, oh, that is good writing. I liked that. And they're all like surrounding his corpse. It's very strange. Yeah. I thought everything about that scene is just very weird. So I feel like they could have done better with his eulogy, but I did like the choice of song. Yeah. It was a good song. Could have done slightly better. But I thought overall for a teen boy, his eulogy was pretty good. And I like that he kind of was like, I'm not the one who's like good with words and whatever, which I don't think anyone is good with words if you're a teenager having to eulogize your fellow teenager. So I'll I'll cut him some slack on that one. But that outfit, I will not cut him any slack on. <laughs> what is that guy? Look at that. He's got a little like patch on his vest that's just like a shiny <gasps> anchor. It's like what <gasps> is that? Like what is that? And what why is that what you chose to wear to your friend's funeral? I've got I'm dying to know. It's, it's very weird. And his like fedora is like wrapped in like some sort of wire with beads. Very strange. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a whole look and it's it's not good. It's not a good and look. I visually when it starts to rain and they show from above and everybody puts the um programs over their head, that's a really that's like an aesthetic that's a what am I trying to say? That scene <laughs> is really nice visually. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that's one of the things. Yeah, a lot of times I feel like book to film, people can get nitpicky and you have to realize that they're two completely different mediums and you're going to lose some things. The amount of arguments, I think we can all say as millennials, the amount of arguments we would get in with friends when the new Harry Potter movie would come out because I was always <laughs> the person who was like, it's a movie. Did you really expect the 600 page novel? Like you would get every little plot point you want in this movie. No, like they have a two and a half hour runtime. They're getting in what they can. They got the gist, they got the themes, you know, whatever. So I'm, I'm a realist. Like I understand when you're adapting things to film that you're going to lose certain things that you, you like from the books. Obviously there are certain movie adaptations that I think are done better than others. But I think sometimes mm -hmm. that is one of the good things about a visual medium. It's like something like the funeral reading the funeral and the funeral basically the funeral's not a big part of the book but there's probably more words you know spent and more time spent on it in the book than there is in the movie but the movie you can say so much more in such a short period of time because you have that visual medium and i actually do think i will give this movie full credit i think they depicted the funeral very well 
I liked all mm-hmm. of that. I liked from the dress picking out to the rain scene, which kind of wraps it up. I thought all of that was done very well. Um, also weird juxtaposition that we go from like a funeral to a wedding. Cause then we're like at the weird, like beach elopement thing, uh, very and, shortly after. And so like, that's interesting choice. <laughs> and I want to mention that they pick the perfect song to play at this moment. They pick um, the Donna's song, which I love the Donna's. The Donna's is one of my favorite bands, which is sad because they are no longer a band. Um, Y'all slept on the Donna's and now one of them's a therapist. Look what you've done. (laughs) Look what you've done. (laughs) You could go um, to the, you could go to the therapist and be like, Hey, I need, I have some thoughts and feelings on the fact that you're no longer in a band. Yeah, I will. I'll be like, listen, of all female rock bands, you guys are amazing. But anyway, the wedding is perfect. It just like, it shows their characters perfectly. Lorna's hair looks insane. I don't even know how she got all those braids. Um, He's wearing a red suit. It's on the The radio. It's, oh God, it is top tier. He doesn't even talk to his kids, walks right by yeah. them, gets back in the ele- in the elevator, in the helicopter. I like that Lewis, who again, Lewis, who's a wet noodle, starts like doing the, because like the dad does like this weird howling yes. thing. And so like Lewis starts doing it at the wedding and Ashley just like looks at him and is like, please stop. And I thought that was fantastic. She goes, no barking, Lewis. Yeah. No, Lewis. no barking. <laughs> like- like we are not here for the bar. We are not here. Like we're here because our dad is getting married, but like we're not here for this. So you're not allowed to start barking. Like, nah, we're not about to do that. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we don't support this, Lewis. Shut up. Yeah, um, shut up, Lewis. You're not allowed to bark here. And then we get to see the. I'm actually a little disappointed. So one of the things I liked, one of the things I really liked about that summer um, was the mom's garden, that whole imagery with the mom's garden. And, you know, they have it here a little bit, but it's like, what does she have? Like five plants right there. And that's, you know, actually a lot. It's like, no, it's just her like angrily. Just because you're a perfect, pretty one, you know, because it's like basically supposed to be, you know, it's the, it's the new wife or whatever. Yeah. Um, which was still funny. Like, Allison Janney is hilarious. So, like, that was hilarious. But, you know. She does have good comedic timing, I will say. And then that's when the mob decides to drop the bomb that she wants to sell the house. And Hallie freaks out. Which is understandable, in my opinion. Yes, I said it in the book, and I'll say it now. I get where the mom is coming from, but at the same time, maybe just wait until she graduates. Right. Also, this is a plot point that they never circle back to in the movie. Like, she drops this bombshell, Hallie freaks out, and we never get any kind of, um, you know, like, conclusion wrap-up on on that storyline. So that's just a weird little thing that bothered me a little bit. Mm -hmm. I did like that scene... The bombshell of the house selling, I was like, yeah, not cool. And that would be stressful for her with all these other changes going on, as we discussed when we discussed the book. But I did like 
that scene again, Alice and Janie just kind of like a masterclass of just, you know, she's just great. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about, um, the wedding and she was like, was dad, you know, like that blame. And she's talking about like the powder blue suit, but she's also basically saying like, don't hate your father. How like, he's a good man. He was a good mm-hmm. man in our wedding. He is still a good man. And I like that because I do think it is easy again, when parents do get divorced, that they like, you know, sometimes they want to put their kids against the other parent. And I think she's like, he's your dad. And he's, uh, he is a good guy at the end of the day. Like you're allowed to, to like him. Don't hate him. And I just thought that yeah. scene was done very well, even though she kind of ruined the moment with the whole, I do think that's another thing about the movie is they do have, you can see that there is some tension, obviously, with the the whole mother-daughter relationship, but honestly, most of the movie, they're pretty good with each other. Like, they have pretty good conversations, except for the bombshell house thing. So later on, when Hallie is just like, oh, mom, you don't get me. Like, she just comes off as a whiny teenager, as opposed to... Yeah in the novels like you always can kind of understand their side like i felt like and again maybe this is mm-hmm. just because allison Janie is just perfect and she was like this good complex character but i felt very sympathetic toward the mother and the movie and that i didn't i kind of was like jesus christ Sally, like calm down stop yelling at your mother like i just felt like the tension between the two of them kind of comes a little bit more out of nowhere in the movie than in the books it's like it's building it's building it's building you understand you know, where Hallie is coming from kind of thing. So that was just yeah. kind of odd to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then we get like a half-assed version of the lawn mowing scene. Um, yeah. She's like leaf blowing leaves. And he shows up at the leaf blower. They talk to each other for like 10 seconds. And then we get the montage that you talked about. Yeah. To Liz Fair. They did their best. Here we go. They gave us some Liz Fair. They gave us the song that was in every rom com, every trailer, every coming of age teen romance. Yeah. Liz Fair was raking. Liz Fair could have retired from just this one song with how many movies it was in. If anyone's not familiar, it's, uh, I believe the title is Why Can't I? Correct? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know it. Even if you think you don't know it, you know it. It's like, why can't I breathe whenever I think about you? That one. <laughs> I wish y'all yeah. could see my plan right now. She's laughing. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, they did their best. They gave us a good song for the montage. But again, like, this is the, these characters have had like two conversations outside the guidance office and now this quick leaf blowing moment. And this montage is supposed to make me like them and care for them. Nah. Listen here, Jason Mraz looking mother effer. You ain't it, okay? (laughs) (laughs) We're not impressed with you, Megan. We're not impressed. We're We're all set, buddy. Thanks, though. Um, And then, oh, also they just, like, are, like, hanging out this whole time. Scarlett's there, and she seems totally fine. And it's like, She wouldn't be totally my my ex-boyfriend who I have not seen in 10 years died last month and I am a freaking mess. There's no way that she right. would be. Yeah, she's just like chilling out with them in the montage. Like she's she's cool. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, which on top of it, she's like hormone. I mean, she doesn't know yet, but like that's already building. It's already brewing that she's pregnant. So she's got that. So that's already throwing your emotions out of whack. Plus the fact that she is theoretically grieving right now, but they don't 
yeah, they don't, they're like, we have no time for Scarlet's grief in this movie. So we're just going to glaze off past that. They're like montage time. Yeah. They're like, we've got this fair. We've got this montage. We're doing it. So something really weird that seemed really out of place in this movie. When he is, oh God, I have another comment to say now that I'm but when he goes and he's throwing pebbles at her window and she walks over to the window to check and see what's going on she's wearing a cut out tank top and you can see her whole boob like you can see nipple and it's just i'm like wait what where is this coming from like why are we randomly seeing mandy moore's like whole boob yeah, we we don't need to be seeing Mandy Moore's whole boob that is a choice. Nope. That is really a choice. It is maybe more some weird in this movie. Can I also just briefly say while we're talking about a whole boob shots? Just overall, I like that mushroom shirt. I I noted that. I was like, I really did like, that mushroom, like that mushroom shirt. But just some of the outfits. And again, it's 2003. It's like the weird, and this is honestly so on brand though for the time though. The weird like choker necklace that she wears with her bridesmaid's mm-hmm. dress. Because again, it's like She's an edgy girl or whatever. But I was like, that is actually like people would have worn that. And now you're looking mm-hmm. back at your wedding pictures from 2003 and being like, dear God, why did I let my little sister wear that weird choker necklace? But yeah, there's just some odd fashion choices overall. Yeah, in the, in the early movie. 2000s, we were really into like Chinese imagery, and like Chinese yes. lettering and stuff. Like her necklace has like Chinese letters on it. And it's, well, you know, obviously Chinese is not a language, but um, I'm American and I'm stupid. So, you know. So please forgive us for not knowing the exact term. Please forgive. (laughs) But it is, yeah. Um, And then we see making. We really were loving appropriating Asian culture in the early 2000s. Like, boy, we're being into that. Like, what's up with that? Why? Gwen Stefani's Harajuku oh, girls. Who could forget that face? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Na- like, like, I, she would, if she tried to do that shit now, like, she would be canceled so quick. But back in the day, we're all just mm-hmm. like, that's fine. Like, that's cool. We're, we're doing that, I guess. That's so weird. Yeah. It's so weird. And, like, very appropriative to, like, do that. I'm going to put a little blame. Yeah. This isn't entirely it because I don't know. I think maybe in the early 2000s, we were kind of finally getting the internet going a little bit and people were discovering uh anime and stuff like that and then you had all that people just mm. were like let's give whatever but you're not also going to blame a little bit <laughs> speaking of star wars and how in 2003 it's not as cool to be referencing stars as it was in the 1986 or whatever but with the jedi mind trick but um a lot of the prequels took from a lot of asian uh, a lot of Padme's mm. costuming, and I think maybe that started bringing things into the American culture, and maybe it shouldn't have. And I love Padme Madala, and I love the costume designer for the prequels, and I love her designs. And it's it's space opera, and you know, you, of course, you're gonna pick whatever. But I often wonder the fact that we went so hard in kind of like Asian inspired looks and Phantom Menace. Did that make us all cringy cultural appropriation people in the early 2000s? I don't know. Maybe food for thought. <laughs> It is. It is a food for thought. thought One of Taylor Swift's new songs, doesn't she say, like, it was 2003, the outfits were terrible? What the fuck? Yes! And I was like, ain't that the damn truth? Ain't that the damn truth? 
was like, Those God, gaucho pants in their early 2000s. The fashion from like, like, I think it's hysterical that people make fun of like 80s fashion or, or anything. Um, like, I legitimately think the epitome worst peak of fashion is from like 2000 to like 2009, probably, of course, when I was like a teenager. <laughs> it was not a good time. Like 2000, 2010, like that decade what was anyone thinking? Like nothing. I don't look at any outfit and go, oh, except for again, that mushroom shirt. But like most outfits I'm looking at, I'm just like, oh, that, but there are like certain pieces from the 80s or the 70s and the 90s that you're like, yeah, and stand the test of time. Like again, I'm staring at my clan right now who's in her closet and there's a flannel behind her. Obviously flannels very associated with the grunge movement, whatever. But that's the thing. We're also wearing flannel shirts to this day, y'all, because it's like still in fashion. No one is trying to bring back something for 2003 because it's hideous. <laughs> do you remember so you those just big? Do you remember those big belts that were like a bunch of circles? Yes, 100 percent <laughs> remember those. I'm certain I probably owned one. Like, oh, and I probably I thought I was so cool when I wore it. And like, that's that's not fa- what was I thinking? That's not fashion. That's terrible. Mm. It was terrible. Terrible time for clothes. Um, in this scene as well, speaking of clothes, when she goes out and kisses Macon for the first time, question mark, um, he's wearing a shirt and it looks like, I mean, I know this is a common theme here that we're having in this podcast, but it looks like Jesus Christ is standing on his shirt. I think it is the Brazil statue. You know that statue okay. in Brazil, the big thing, and he's like, "Got the." That's what it looks like. But also, I was like, "What a weird!" I thought the same thing. I was like, "What a weird shirt!" Is he wearing a the? What is that statue called? I'm gonna put Brazil Jesus statue into Google and see what I find. Christ the Redeemer yeah, statue. But like, what a weird yeah. thing for him. Why would he have a Christ the Redeemer statue shirt? But yeah, I know. I was like, has he been to Brazil Are we, in his truancy times when he's missing biology? Are we supposed to believe that he was down in in Brazil? Things I'm we loved in the them. early 2000s, Brazil and Asian culture? <laughs> <laughs> Is that, Why? Were we stealing fashion from every other culture? I don't know. Maybe. Why? Not so. Well, yeah. That's very American of us. Yeah, um, pretty much. So mom comes out and she's like, who are you talking to? And Hallie like comes out of the bushes and she's like, oh, I'm just hanging out. And then Scarlett runs in from a totally different yard and is like, oh, it's my bad. Yeah. What? Comes in saving her, which I like. We're about to get into the room where we find out why Scarlett has rushed over. But I like that, as we know, I mean, this isn't a spoiler because we've discussed the books. Scarlett is pregnant. That's what she's coming over to discuss basically with Hallie or to come over and figure out that she's pregnant. But I like that even when she is stressed out carrying a book that's like basically saying symptoms of pregnancy. Also, my carrying book right there, everyone, you can't see it, but it kind of looks like Wakanda forever. So hi, everyone, Wakanda forever. But this is carrying a book. Um, but, but yeah, so she comes rushing in with that. And I like that she is still, again, Scarlet being Scarlet, being a great best friend, like has the wherewithal to like cover for Hallie, even though like she's stressed out about her own thing. So I think like in that scene, they did, Scarlet kind of gets like, I think, the short shaft in this movie because we don't get enough time with her and yeah. whatnot. But 
and we heard like their her relationship with Alec kind of gets put on the back burner because of course the movie wants to make it more of a love story between her and Macon than between her and Scarlet. But anywho, I did like that in that scene. You kind of get a little bit of that like Scarlet Hallie like relationship that we know and love. And then they go into the room and they read the symptoms while she's eating the grapefruit. And then are we supposed to believe that that night, which I think it's pretty late because Hallie was like basically curled up in bed when Macon comes over with the the pebbles and, and whatnot, which you already all know our thoughts about that because we've discussed in the past about everyone in the house would hear. This is not a thing you could actually do. But anywho, it seems to be pretty late at night, but they're going over the symptoms and then we immediately go to the drugstore. And I was like, I thought that that was the next day. But then the way the movie kind of makes you believe it, they go to the drugstore in the middle of the night and then they're like sneaking back into Scarlett's house, which is when they tell Marion. So I'm like, at what point did they go to this drugstore to pee on a stick? Like midnight? <laughs> it must be like out. a 24 hour, must be like a 24 hour drugstore, I guess. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess a lot of them are. So that's not completely like unbelievable that it would be. But I just like in my mind when they cut to the, they're like reading the book, they're going to the symptoms. I thought, okay, that's that night. Now we're at the drugstore. But then the very next scene is like them sneaking back into Scarlett's house. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's all still in one night. Oh, I was I was mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then so then Scarlet's mom sits them down, and she's like, "What the hell is going on?" And Scarlet says, "Mom, taking your car out is going to seem like the least of it." I did. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Like, whatever you're thinking right now, it's worse. And it's like, damn, way to set that one up, girl. Yeah, yeah she did herself no like, favor. She was just like, you're not going to be worried about the car in about 2.5 seconds. There's something that's about to be way worse. And mm-hmm. she tells her mom. And her mom takes it, you know, about as well as she did in the book, basically. She is not, she is not too pleased. Yeah. Like one last go get an abortion. Yeah. One last rant before we wrap up for the evening. This is something, uh, just because I was kind of talking about the Scarlet thing. This is something I knew I wanted to bring up at some point when we recorded this episode. But it is it is one of my biggest pet peeves, I guess, about YA book adaptations, and I have watched a lot of them. That we definitely, I love that Hollywood is just like, okay, we're going to sell this to teenage girls. And you want to know what teenage girls love? They love a love story. And they always spend so much more time on the love story in the movie, like between, you know, like the heteronormative love story between like a girl and a guy, like a teenage girl and teenage boy, than like any other kind of thing that the book, like the themes of the book was actually trying to convey. Like the the worst example I can think of, or the best example of Hollywood doing this um, is the Hunger Games, in which the Hunger Games, like the movie sells like, this is a love triangle. It's all about a love triangle. And like, that's not what the books are about at all. Like I'm not like, you've all. missed the entire damn point of the books. Like that's not what it's about. And I totally saw that in this movie. It was like, having read obviously you know that summer and someone like you and i'm like it's so not like it is not about hallie and macon at all like that's not what these books or again only someone like you or they in but that's not the point of that book and of course the movie is like we're gonna make the point of the movie that the two of them have to end up together in the end and that they love each other and we're gonna mostly tell you that through montage i guess 
And yeah, I just, hi, dear Hollywood, as someone who was once a teenage girl, yes. Did I love love stories? Absolutely. Do I still love love stories? Do I still love romance? Absolutely. But I also have a million other interests and I loved both of these books for what they were. And I love that they weren't about, you know, basically a girl having a crush on a guy and they end up, and I don't know why you had to turn the movie into here's this boy and she's jaded on love and she's going to fall in love with him. On the contrary though, when you ever turn this lullaby into a movie, which that is the story, I will eat that up (laughs) and I will eat it up. But that is actually what the book is about. So it's a completely different thing. But yeah, that's hi, Mr. Mr. Hollywood. If you could just listen, listen to us as two women. Uh, we like other stories besides just love stories. Okay. Like we, we do, we really do. And you can stop trying to sell us on just love. Thank you. (laughs) And young girls need to see more than just love stories because like, I can tell you growing up, reading a lot of YA and watching a lot of YA stuff, I was like obsessed with like romantic relationships and I shouldn't have been. Yeah. I should have been more obsessed with friendships. Preach. Yeah. Especially in your teenage years. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Yeah. The, your your platonic relationships are going to be, your platonic love is so much more important. And the community you build of friendships is so much more important than your high school boyfriend. I can almost guarantee that. Again, mom, hi. I know you're listening. Yes. You and dad married each other. It worked out for you. <laughs> but for a lot of people... And Justin, you do not marry your high school sweetheart. So yeah, like, you know, just focus on your friends. And I, I, yeah, I just wish that there were more stories about that. I mean, I guess, I don't know, they gave us Sister of the Traveling Pants. But even in those movies, they made it so much mm-hmm. about the girls' relationships to the boys, boys and their sisterhood. Yeah. And that's not what the books are about. Yes, there was love and romance. Yes, there were certain girls. I was like, Oh, I want her to be with this guy. But that wasn't, I, I love their friendship. I love the, the, the Sharon of the pants. And, uh, and Hollywood's that book like, was, those books were so good. like that. They just like, you know, whatever. I don't know. I also though, half the time Hollywood doesn't even think that women buy things period. And they're like, yes, yeah. we got the girl viewers, but we need the boy viewers for the money. Not, remembering the fact that titanic which completely all of its blockbuster sales were from or box office sales not blockbuster that's the video rental place um but it became a blockbuster hit movie because of teenage girls and it was the number one highest grossing movie for many years so hi yes women do go watch movies we also will watch movies that are about things other than love i do it all the time (laughs) so if you can just remember that that'd be great Also, like, that's one of my things I'm most upset about recently is we keep getting really amazing shows about women that are centered around women that are mostly cast with women and they get canceled so fast. Dollface, Shrill, um, Dollface and Shrill are like the two that are forefront on my mind, but there are a lot of other ones that I'm like, why, why are we canceling this? It's because it's all women and people are like the algorithm or whatever the fuck yeah it's Hopefully. not, it's not cool enough there's actually a whole thing about um and and this is it's the the marketability and they think like merch sales which is so weird because if you've ever seen a woman in phantom hi hi it's me on the problem it's me um i have so many 
street, like my entire apartment that I'm sitting right now, the, the plushes, the posters behind me, the amount of Funko Pops I have, yeah. the amount of lounge flies I have. Like women will spend, they for some reason they think that women will not spend like merchandise money on things. And so they're always trying to get men into it because they're like, the men will buy the toys. They'll buy the action figures. But it's like, hi, women buy action figures as well and nerdy merch. And Ashley Eckstein made an entire fortune off of it because she created her universe because she realized like, hey, where's the women nerd merch? Like women are at these Star Wars conventions. Women want to wear Star Wars stuff too. Why is it only in the mm-hmm. men's section? Um, and Star was born. But anywho, um, that yeah like it's a thing like i like back in the day with things like um buffy the vampire slayer and supernatural yeah. which is weird to say today because it just ended like two weeks ago i swear but they were mad that it was mostly a girl audience but it was so successful supernatural lasted for the five thousand years because yeah, of female literally. they were like we can't make money off of this but you did like it's been proven that you can and you did and it was a successful show and you sold a hell of a lot of merch so I don't know why they were always like, but we got to get the guys. We got to get the guys. We got to get the guys interested in it. And it's like, no, you're doing a-okay with the female audience you have. So anyways. As the Joker said, <laughs> we live in a society. And that society <laughs> is run by men. <laughs> it's run by men. And they, they're just going to keep making dumb decisions and thinking that they're the only people that exist when they don't. But mm-hmm. because it's the two of us, and of course, something that we thought we're like, how long can we possibly talk about this movie? This is going to be like a 30-minute episode. Hardy, har, har, har. Jokes on us. Apparently, of course, we can talk about it for a very long time. Probably because I just went on a 20-minute Hollywood tangent. But <laughs> that was a special bonus for y'all this week. You're going to be getting two episodes. So hi, if you're listening on Tuesday, our normal drop time. This is going to be How to Deal Part 1. We're going to be wrapping up our thoughts and feelings on How to Deal Part 2 tomorrow. So this week, exciting news, everyone. You get two episodes. You have to listen to us go on tangents and rants twice this week. So get excited. We'll be back to finish up tomorrow, 2003's How to Deal. The fashion, the eyebrows, or lack thereof. We'll be back to discuss it. And then we are going to finally get to jump into... Sarah Dustin's third novel, Keeping the Moon, which my clan and I have been very excited about that one. I mean, we're excited about all of them, but we're very excited about that one because it is, uh, it's going to be our first trip to Colby. We're going to get to go to Colby for the first time in the Sarah Dustin universe in this novel. We get a little restaurant friend trip, which of course is something that is important to the two of us since that's where we met. Um, So yeah, get excited. We're going to be back with some more How to Deal and some Keeping the Moon. And we hope that you all will be there to join us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe or follow or whatever you do with podcasts and follow us on Instagram and tell Sarah Dessen you love us and we love you. Goodbye.